Turn with me in the scripture to the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 2. You've heard me quote this scripture before. Uh, You've heard me, we've talked about this, but it's been some time ago. And I think the scripture itself lends lends itself to the idea that we ought to read it again. You'll know once we read it why I'm saying that. But this is something that I have pre- that I had preached out of. I preached out of Habakkuk chapter two, uh, some eighteen to eighteen months, two years ago. Uh, the Lord led me back here as I was as I was gleaning and in, in, in camp meeting. And there's going to be several points that that have that I got from camp meeting that'll come out of this today. But he 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 gave me the specifics for our church with regard to this, and I couldn't wait to get back. Um, on this Sunday morning and just share this with everyone in the building Um, and look at your neighbor and tell them I'm glad you're here today because you wouldn't have wanted to miss this amen you guys are almost with me today one of the we're going to get there though Uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 we're going to begin reading at verse number 2 he said and then the Lord answered me and said Write the vision. Everybody say, write the vision. I want you to say it with some authority. Say, write the vision. And make it plain. Say, make it plain. Okay, we're going to do it in unison. And make it plain. All right. And uh, on tablets, he says, that he may run who reads it. I, 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 when I first read that, I thought he was talking about when somebody reads it, they're going to be in terror and they're going to run away. But that's not actually what the scripture means right there. He's saying make it plain on tablets so that, they, so that someone can carry it and noise it somewhere else. So that a herald can take it and go somewhere else. So he's saying, he said, write the vision down, make it plain, write it down on something, and have it readily available so that it can be carried from the next place to the next place to the next place, that they can run this thing and get it noised abroad. They didn't have cell phones. Come on, somebody. They were just messengers. And so that's what this is all about. And so we could easily, in today's vernacular, read this scripture, text the vision... Make it plain on tablets (laughs) that he may tweet who reads it so that we understand that this thing can get noised abroad. And then it says this, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come and not tarry long. I want you to keep that in your in, uh, reference in your in your Bible, but I want you to also turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 24. And I didn't have my Bible marked today. I just left Habakkuk. I'm going to have to get back over there. 1 Samuel, chapter number 24. We're going to begin reading at verse number 1. And the scripture says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told to him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness at En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. 
So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs, and David and his men were staying in the recess of that same cave. Then the man of David said unto him, This is the day which the Lord had said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him what seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Let's pray over the word. Father, we thank you for the word. God, I thank you that there's so much revelation, that there's such a great picture and description in your word. Lord, I pray that as we unfold and unpack these scriptures today, that it would become living, that it would come to life, that we would see it in living color, God, that we would see it as it were on a screen in front of us unfolding, that you would make your word so simple and so clear today, Lord, that we would leave with the impact of your rhema in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word and we honor you. Lord, I pray that you anoint me as your preacher of the hour, God. That you would anoint me for this moment to preach and and teach and and give word and, and be the oracles of God speaking into those lives that are around me. I thank you for this honor today and I give you all the glory and all the praise. We give you all glory and all praise today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. And amen, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about trusting God in the process. Look at your neighbor and say, trust God in the process. Everything that we go through, there's a process to it. There's, you know, I, I would love to say in our microwave world that we live in that, that we, we want something and then we get it. But the truth is, God doesn't let things work that way unless we're actually using the microwave. And we go up there and hit 30 seconds. And if you're Abby, she's a pro at working the microwave. She's away with the kids at Kids Church right now. But sh- this girl lives on popcorn. And so popcorn is a food group for her. And, uh, and so if we're eating dinner and she doesn't like what we're eating in goes a bag of popcorn and she knows that she can put that thing in the microwave and press two and a half minutes because we got one of them hot microwaves I think two minutes maybe and two minutes and and then voila you've got popcorn out the other side and and she's got her ready-made meal full of nutrition and and, and so we live in a society where things are just, you know, we're, we want things now. I mean, we go through and, and Chick-fil-A, you know, God's restaurant is, uh, is, is over there. And they, they've learned about it. how can I serve you today? And it's my pleasure to serve you today. And you go through the line there. And I mean, you can, I can be looking around town for somewhere to eat. And I know if I look at Chick-fil-A, they could have a mile long line out the back. And I'll still go there because they're, they're quick, man. They know how to get them orders out and there's five people writing the vision down on tablets as you're as you're giving your order they're making it plain on tablets and literally for me because I order my stuff plain and uh and so that you know we know that we can get it fast if we go through Chick-fil-a and so we can get our stuff and we want it now but the reality is nine times out of ten everything that you're facing in life there's going to be some kind of process that you go through to get there let me just bring this home for you and say that when God told me 
over two years ago, just a little over two years ago, he said, I'm going to send you to a people and you're going to begin to cultivate revival in them because I know, that, I know Paul, that you think you're an evangelist and you want revival, but the reality is in three sermons, you can't get revival. You can't get revival by just having, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. You can't have 10 weeks of revival like we had just prior to me coming here and say that is revival because it takes longer than that to cultivate a change, an atmospheric change, a climatal change, a cultural change, something around us, the world around us changing. That is revival. And it takes longer. There's a process to it. And so God said, I'm going to send you down to Springfield, Missouri, and you're going to get a part of a church down there, and you're going to you're going to begin to structure and build, but you're may be mindful because you're going down there for a purpose. The purpose is revival. The purpose is not to build another church that has a bunch of people in it. The purpose is not to build your name up. The person the purpose is not to build up the name of the church or have the best programs or be able to compete with the this one or that. I'm not going to start name dropping, but it's not about competing with them. It's about getting some people together that are like-minded that say, I want God to move in my life. And more than that, I want our church to be an influence on this community. And I want what God is doing in us and the spirit and power that works in us that's going to cause change, climatal change, cultural change in the community around us. And so he said, Paul, I'm going to send you down. I'm going to, you're going to, you're going to be among a people and you're going to cultivate revival. He used that word with me in the, while I was crying like a baby on the altar saying, God, why can't I have revival? And he was saying, listen, I'm going to cause you to cultivate a revival. There's going to be cultivation that has to take place. And I didn't realize, I thought, okay, God, my long-term plan was like a eight months at that time. You know, if I had a long game, it was going to be less than a year. But I thought I'm going to go down to Springfield and, you know, within within just a short amount of time, we're just it's going to explode and the, the Holy Ghost is going to start moving. And every service, we're going to have people. And as they walk in from outside on their Sunday morning, they're going to start falling down. And they're going to, you know, before the service ever starts, we're just going to have them walking in and they're going to just fall over. And, and, and the power of God's going to move. And, and, you know, I just knew it was going to happen this way. And since I was in it for the long haul, I just figured it would take at least six or eight months or something. And so, you know, we, we I just knew it was going to happen. But the reality is there's a process to getting from here to there. And I've come to tell you today, our church is in the process. Look at your neighbor and tell them we're in the process. But you know what? Individually tell them this. You're in the process. I'm in the process. We're in the process here because God has a plan. He said in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. The King James says, I, I, have, I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Plans of a hope and a future and expected end. I have these plans for you, but guess what? There's a process for those plans to come to pass. Why did I read first out of Habakkuk? Because two years ago, around the time when I first arrived, when God was beginning to do something and put a vision inside of me to go forward with the church and to do something big in this community, I remember reading out of Habakkuk and him saying to us as a church body, write down the vision, make it plain so that everybody can hear. Well, guess what? It's been a, it's been a, over a year now, and I wonder sometimes do we forget what the vision is because we're getting stuck in the process. 
So it was important to go back and read that scripture again and say, do you remember when we laid out a vision for a church that was going to be called Awakening? I've come to tell you today we didn't get our name by happenstance or because it sounded clever. We got our name because God said to me, there's going to be an awakening in this last days and in these last hours. And I want more than anything for the church I'm involved with to be a part of an awakening that will happen in this community and in this world. Amen. So, so he says, you're going to call the church awakening. Well, we begin to lay out a vision. And then, but then, then I wonder, did we make it plain enough? And, and then I also wonder this. Did we make it so that one can run who reads it? Did we make it strong enough that people could grab the vision and carry it? I, 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 I haven't even began in my notes just yet. But, but, you know, here's the thing about vision. If you don't make your vision tweetable if you don't make your if your vision carryable then what then what good is my if my vision is only i can see it then what good is the vision for the church if I, if pastor's the only one who has an idea where the church is going then how can we get on board together and get this thing accomplished? I've come to tell you this morning, I was talking with Blake yesterday, said I know without a shadow of a doubt that I cannot do what God wants to do by myself. I know it. I wouldn't even try it. I've already gone beyond what I can do myself in this church. We have great people that are alongside us and they, they fulfill so many responsibilities and roles and there's no way I could do what we do right now on my own, much less going forward into what God has called us to do. But how can we all get there and how can we all uh, take our part and take ownership in what God wants us to do if we don't have the vision plain where we can run with it? Everybody in this room needs to be running with the vision. And I've come to tell you today that I want to make it plain so that you can run with it. Because today, we, we, here's the thing that God, I really feel this in my spirit. When God brought me, when I came back, from, from camp meeting, the thing that the Lord... You know, I get time to think and pray because on, the, on my travels, uh, my family's snoozing. And so I'm driving along and, you know, the Lord and I are having our, our conversations and everybody's having their rest in the Lord. And, and you know, and, and I'm, I'm driving along and, and, and I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, how is the church going to go where you want it to go if you don't make it plain? How, how is the church going to get to where I've called them to go? How's this awakening going to happen if they're not able to carry it? They have to carry it. You have to carry it. You, we have to carry it together. And so it's important to recite and rehearse the vision of the church. It's important for you, let's make this personal today, it's important for you to recite the vision that God has placed on your life. I can remember, I'm just going to relate this to me so I leave other people alone, but I remember uh, when I was 19 years old in a Pentecostal church and God, while I was in worship, I told you my, the greatest things happened to me facing that wall over there. And God began to speak to me one day and he said, I'm calling you, this is your calling. I'm calling you right now to preach the gospel. And he said this word, he said, I'm calling you to be an evangelist. And he gave me a vision. I'm, of course, I'm facing the wall. We talked about that last week and that's where God did his stuff for me. Um, but, but, you know, I, I was facing the wall and praying and worshiping and God began to show me a vision and I saw, and, and I don't even know how I could quantify this except for that it was God. I saw 4,000 people and me preaching to 4,000. How do I know? I don't know 
how I knew it was 4,000 people. The Holy Spirit gave me that, that it was 4,000 people. I don't know why he didn't give me 40,000 because I would have rather told that story, but he said four. So I'm going to just be content with what he said. But I I had this vision that this was going to happen. Well, guess what? 13 years go by. 13 years. I know that's not a lot for some folks. But for a young guy like me, 13 years is a pretty good long time. 13 years was long enough that I had forgotten the vision. 13 years was long enough that wherever I wrote it down, the tablet wasn't strong enough to carry because I had forgotten. And 13 years was long enough that I began to do every other thing in the church that you could possibly do. Here I was, this young man, 19 years old, didn't even have no kids yet. Didn't even have any kids yet. Don't want my grammar people to get mad at me. Didn't even have any kids yet. And and I'm called to be an evangelist. I thought the next day I was going to be on TBN. But it didn't. I thought Jensen was going to call me up and tell me that I needed to be his guest speaker the next day. But that's not how it worked. There was a process. And I wasn't ready to go through the process. But 13 years later... God began to speak to me in the middle of a service and he said, now it's time. That was the words I heard. And in the middle of worship, in the middle of what God was doing in the service, God began to speak and I heard him say, now it's time. And I knew instantly I was taken back to the place where the vision was first said to me when God laid out something for me. And so I've I've come to tell you today that we need to recite the vision. We need to rehearse the vision. Why? Because for 13 years, I don't know what I could have been doing. I don't know what I should have been doing. But I know I got distracted somewhere in that 13 years. In that 13 years, I, I, I'll tell you every, I won't tell you everything I did because then we wouldn't leave today. But in that 13 years, I, 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 I led worship. I began to play the guitar in church. I became a youth pastor for about five years. Uh, I did all these churchy things, but let me tell you what else I did. I backslid in those 13 years, and I began to focus and dive into my job, and I went and traveled across the, all of the Midwest, and, and I, would, I would make a bunch of money, and I would never have fulfillment inside of me because there was a call that God placed on me 13 years ago and a vision that he put in me but I never would recite it I didn't rehearse it I was content with letting it fall by the wayside and so it's important today for you to take that vision that God has given you and recite it over yourself remind yourself every day some of you have let the vision go for even longer than 13 years God called you to something a long time ago and you thought you've let that thing die and you didn't let it you didn't write it down and you didn't rehearse it and you didn't let somebody run with it and you didn't let yourself run with it and God is saying to you remember the vision remember what I've called you to remember your calling because I want to bring it to manifestation in your life I'm telling you there's power in your words there's power in your tongue you should wake up every morning and say I am blessed and highly favored I am I am the righteousness of the Lord I have the, I, I'm, I'm the head and not the tail I'm telling you you should wake up every day and say he's called me to this he's called me to that he's called me to the nations Jim and Mindy you should wake up every day and say I know I'm in America today but he's called me to Samoa he's called me to where I'm supposed to go sister Marcia you should wake up every day and say God has called me to impact the lives of women everywhere you should wake up and just begin to recite the vision and make it plain and carry it where you need to go 
He said, write the vision, make it plain. The scripture says this. I remember reading this and quoting this when we, when we preached this the last time. But it, it, the scripture says that people perish for lack of vision. Now, when we were at camp meeting, the preacher who stood up on Friday morning, he said this. He said, you know, the scripture says people perish for lack of vision. And then he made a statement. He really almost got himself in trouble. He said, I'm telling you right now that you need more than the Holy Ghost. And everybody went, <laughs> But he made a statement when he followed it up. I I never do the big gasp because I want to hear what comes next. But he made this statement afterward. He said, even Pentecostal people perish without vision. And I began to chew on what he was saying. And I began to think about how across not only our denomination, but even these non-denominations, which is a denomination, and uh, even the, you know, the, any, any, any spirit-filled church that's out there, uh, they, they have spoken tongues, and they can go in, and they can have church together, and they can get loud, and they can do everything, but if they don't have vision, they're perishing. Church, year after year, churches are closing down because of what? Not because they don't have the Holy Ghost, not because those people can't pray. Not, not because they're not living right. Not because of unrighteousness. I need you to hear me. It's not because of what they're doing wrong. It's because they don't have vision. Every day people perish for lack of vision. The scripture says. And so I've come to tell you today. We, I want to be Pentecostal as Pentecostal can be. I, I, I want to just make that very plain. That if, we, if, God, if God shows us approved and allows this church to grow to be as massive or as big as he wants it to be, then great. But we're going to be Pentecostal in the process. And we're going to do it by the power and unction of the Holy Ghost. We're not going to do it any other way. And if it happens, then it happens. And we'll trust God for it. And we'll believe God. And he's the only one who can get the glory that way. Somebody say amen. And so, uh, but, but if we become Pentecostal and we become spirit-filled, but we don't have vision, we still perish. We still perish. So we need to recognize that the vision is for an appointed time. I need to move on for the sake of time. The vision is for an appointed time. That's what Habakkuk said. He said, that it will come to pass. I've come to tell you this. This is something that I've learned. Probably the hardest lesson that I've had to learn in ministry thus far is this, that people can hinder Write this down if you're taking notes. People can hinder the will of God in your life and in their own. Now, follow that up with this sentence. People cannot stop the will of God. You can. People can hinder the will of God. People can stall the will of God. I've, I've talked about this uh, before, and I know we're live. I'm going to keep what I say to a, to a minimum. But we have been in a position before where we were at a place that, God, that we knew God called us to. And we said, God, you called us to this place. Why are things not working? And the Spirit of the Lord spoke so clearly, and, and it was the first time that I ever learned this lesson. Because I was always raised, if God said it, then it has to happen, and we just keep on doing what we're doing, and we just trust it, and, and it's going to happen. God said, well, that's, that's true, except for, do you remember when I sent the spies into Israel, and my plan for them was to take the land, uh, but they came back, and ten spies said, no, we can't take the land, and two said, yes, we can. And so, by popular, uh, by popular demand, then the children of Israel were 
stalled out for 40 years until a whole generation had died. And God brought that to my remembrance and he said, I called you to that place, but that place is not ready to go forward with what I have for them. And so they are not able to stop what I'm doing, but they are able to stall. And you are a victim of the stall. Some of us have been a victim of the stall, but I've come to tell you today that God said it may tarry, but it will come to pass. Now here's the question. Amen, you can give the Lord a hand clap. That's all right. So here's the thing. People say, well, I know it'll happen, but it'll happen in God's timing. Well, let me tell you something. It will happen in God's timing, but God's timing is oftentimes right now timing. The problem with it is not God's timing. It's us lining up with God's timing. It's us getting out of the way and letting God do what he needs to do. And not only us, but the people around us kind of getting out of the way. Listen, uh, some, sometimes there's a person in the position God has for you, and it's time for them to move on. But you need God to begin to orchestrate that because he's... Because he needs to promote you. So there are times when it's, we say, well, it's, you know, it, it, it'll happen when God wants it to happen. We need to get out of that mindset. I'll tell you what, even if you believe that God's timing is when it's going to happen and that somehow God needs to you know, stew on it a while and make sure that he made the right decision as if he don't have the ability to know what he's doing right off the bat and answer promptly and directly and quickly, then, that, then that's fine. But here's also what you have. You have the ability to know that God is your heavenly father. And if you tuck on his coat a little bit and you say, you know what, God, I want it. And I, and you said I could have it. And so if it's all right, could I go ahead and have it now? And let me tell you something. It, we're no different. I remember, you know, uh, countless times when Eli or Abby would come up to me and I'd say, you know, you can have it. And they said, well, but, but dad, I want it now. And, and I'm in the middle of something. They say, and I'm saying, you can have it. You can have it later. But they keep on and keep on. Guess what? I'm going to move up my time frame. So some of us need to get out of the mindset of oh when it's God when God's good and ready and then we act like we have all the patience in the world when the reality is we're sitting there struggling and in turmoil because we're not doing what God called us to do it's time for us to begin to pray and say God if, if, if this is your timetable then can you move it up God will, God will absolutely expedite the process for you if you'll begin to pray God will begin to do that and listen here's the thing Making the decision to, let, to not let others hinder or postpone God's plan for you is what you have to do. But that does not mean that you should or can take matters into your own hands. And that's a little tricky. I have to make a decision today to not let others postpone what God is calling me to. That means I'm in a state of constant preparation. And I'm constantly asking Dad if I can have it. Can I have it yet? I'm preparing. Can I have it? But it doesn't mean that I take it into my own hands. It means that you will not let others change your spirit or your focus. What, it, what, you, what you need to be saying today is, listen, I'm not going to force this thing. I'm not going to go take something that's not mine in this process. I'm going to let this process happen, but I'm going to let the haters hate from a distance. And I'm going to go ahead and consider myself blessed and act like I live in that role. And I'm going to promote myself to the anointing that it takes to require that role right now. And I'm going to go ahead and, and let them do what they might and let them say what they might. You know, we let people mess us up all the time. But I, I, I wish that there was people in the church today that said, I don't care what my past 
is and I don't care who brings it up. All I know is what God did for me and all I know what he wants to do in my future. And so I'm just going to go on and I'm going to keep on keeping on and I'm going to keep asking dad if he'll go ahead and give it to me now. But I'm going to operate in the anointing until then. You see, we can learn something valuable from Jacob right here. Jacob's name means heel grabber. Committing to God's plan is not about grabbing the blessing. It's not about grabbing at all. It's about letting go. Committing to God's plan is not about grabbing or going after or chasing. It's about letting go and saying, God, if I do, if I, if I, if I, if I go ahead and, 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 and accept the fact that without you I am nothing, but with you I can do all things, then God begins to speed up the timetable. You see, there's, I, I'm moving on for the sake of time. There's several things there. But uh, th- there's several things also that we can learn from David in this passage of Scripture in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, I want to jump in here, and, and I'm, I'm going to try and not keep us much longer today with this, but there's, there's something powerful that we need to see here. Now, the Scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 24, it says, Now, Saul was away and he was messing with the Philistines, but then he, then he came back home and they said, take note that David is over here in the wilderness. And then, so, then Saul wants to kill David. And so he takes 3,000 men from Israel and he goes out to seek David. And the Bible says that he went to seek him at the rock of the wild goats. The rocks of the wild goats. Now, I just want you to picture that. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a rocky ground. And this is where wild goats, is any hunters in the house? You guys, you, you know, you see the hunting show and they're, they're killing the, you know, the, the mountain goats on the rocky ground. And it never fails. They, they shoot the animal and it falls into the worst ravine ever. And I'm like, man, I pity those guys because they got to get that thing out now. But this was the rocky ground of the mountain goats. This was the place, the rocks of the wild goats. And then it says this, that, that he went past that place to a place that the scripture calls the sheepfolds. Do you see that? Do you have that up there? It says, And they came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went to attend his needs. Now, there's a lot in that scripture. That, that, there's several things that we need to really look at in that scripture. Number one, he went pl- past the place of the wild goats. He's up by the road. I need you to see this picture today because it's important. He's going by the road and there's this place called the sheepfolds by the road. And basically what it is is it's a place for keeping your sheep. Now you've got the place of the wild goats back here, but this is the place of the sheepfolds. I want to submit to you today that this was a place that David was very familiar with. The sheepfold was actually the place where he kept his father's sheep. The sheepfold was the place where he was familiar as a boy growing up and working in. The sheepfold, this, and, and, and I dare say this was the very sheepfold where, where David, you know how David, see we know David was in this cave. You know how David knew about this cave? Because when he was a shepherd boy, he used to, he, he found out about that cave when he was taking care of his father's sheep. 
And so David went to a familiar place to himself, and he goes to where the sheep are, where he used to keep his dad's sheep, and he takes his men there, and they begin, he says, I know about this cave that we can go hide out in. And so he's hiding in this cave, and they come to this place where the sheepfold is, and then the scripture says that, uh, that, 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 uh, that this was the place where where Saul went to attend his needs. I like how the King, New King James, uh, you know, they put that as pleasantly as possible, but he was, he was going to see a man about a horse. He was... Everybody get it? So, so Saul... I mean, there's, you've got to see the illustration, but not too vividly, okay? So he... So he's so Saul goes into this cave, and, and no doubt he doesn't go very deep in the cave because you gotta have light to do what Saul needed to do. And and so he he's in the cave and um and, and he begins to do what he's there to do. I was gonna make an illustration out of this, but I feel like it wouldn't go over as well as I thought. So I, I'm trying to think this through again, because in my mind it worked out differently. But so so he's in the shallow part of the cave, and, and Saul is doing, you know, what he's doing. And, um, and, and then David's men begin to say something to David. And, I, and, and this, is, this is so powerful. They, they begin to say, then the men of David said to him, Behold, this is what the Lord said. They begin to talk to David, you see, because David had a vision he was a man with a vision. He had made it plain, and people knew the vision. They knew the plan. They knew the call. They knew that God had said that I'm going to deliver any of your enemies into your hands. And so then his friends, in good intentions, began to say, this is that opportunity. Here's this guy that is obviously distracted. And you can take his life right now. You can do this, and you would be right in the plan of God. You would be right in the will of God because God already said, "I'm going to put your, I'm going to give your enemies into your hands." And so we have to be careful because these men were these men were his good friends and confidants, and they didn't mean him harm, and they didn't even mean to steer him away from God. But we have to be careful because even our closest allies, even our closest friends, will sometimes give us bad advice. And this was bad advice. Because they said, look, we know, we're, we believe in the same God as you do. I mean, we're Pentecostal folks together. But this obviously makes sense, and so they, they begin to prophesy to him. They begin to tell him that you need to go take matters into your own hands, and you kill Saul, and then this whole thing's over, and we, we can go about our business, and we've got everything that we need. And guess what happens? David listens. David's like, that's a decent idea. I think I'll do that. And so David sneaks over. I'm going to make an illustration. Eli, will you put your your robe on, you're going to be Saul because you stand head and shoulders above all of Israel. You're actually Saul because the robe fits you. Yeah. So this is Saul. This is his, this is his kingly robe right here. Okay. Just, that's good. Yeah, let me have that. So, 
So this is Saul, and he's, we're not going to illustrate this all the way, okay? So Saul goes, Saul goes in, and he, he's like, hmm, there's a cave. I think I'll use that cave. And so he comes in, stand up here in front of the pulpit. And so David, the Bible says that David is in the recesses of the cave. David's found himself way back here in the cave because he knows of the cave from when he was a boy. And so his men, they, they just say, you know what? Go take matters into your own hands. And the speaker, the speaker uh, at camp meeting, he said something that was so profound, I have to repeat it. He said, you'll never know your heart until you get the opportunity to do God's will your own way. You'll really never know the measure of your integrity. You'll never know the, the measure of your spiritual maturity until you're given the opportunity to fulfill God's will in your timing and in your way. See, David had an ability right now to fulfill God's will on his own. So David goes up and he takes... He gets up real close and, you know, and Saul's doing his business and, and he goes and he, he starts to, he, he was going to take Saul's life. Now I need you to, I need you to know this. He came up and he had a knife or a sword and he was getting ready to take Saul's life. He didn't go up there with the intention of cutting off a piece of his garment. He went up there with the intention of killing him. But, but I believe that David, as he had that sword in his hand and was getting ready to take God's matters into his own hands, he looked out and he saw the sheepfolds. And he realized that God has a plan for me. And his knife was already in motion and he cuts off a piece of the garment. He cuts off a piece of of Saul's robe. Saul exits. David goes back to his men. And he says, he, he rebukes them. He says, who am I to touch God's anointed? Who am I? And at that moment, I believe that, Eli, as you come to the piano, will you come to the piano for me? At that moment, he had a piece of the robe in his hand. He looked out across and he saw the sheepfolds. And he says, God gave me a vision. When I was young, Samuel came to me. And he anointed me. And he said that I was going to be king. And I have all I have to do is trust in the process. All I have to do is trust that God who called me is able... The God who began a good work is able to complete it. And I believe he looked down in his hand and he said, I've cut off a corner. I've cut a corner. But he said, I, in cutting a corner, I'm settling for a piece when God wanted to give me the whole thing. God wanted to make him the king of all of Israel. God wanted to give him the whole rope. And he said, I'm settling for a peace. So many times we get frustrated with the process and we're willing to settle for just a peace 
when God wants to give us the whole blessing. When you cut corners, you end up with a piece of the blessing. When you cut corners and don't trust the process, when you don't trust God to make to, to begin a good work in you and bring that work to completion, you end up with just a piece. When he's saying, I want you to have the whole thing. I've called you to have the whole thing. I've called you to be a king. Don't settle for a piece of the garment. That piece had value. It was the king's garment. We know that David used it. David went out of the cave afterward and he said, Look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. This is, an, this is evidence that I could have. But the reality was, he should have never even cut it off. Because God was, was able from the very beginning. When God anointed him through the prophet Samuel, God already had his plan laid out. He didn't need to cut a piece of the garment. He didn't need to cut corners. The minister on Friday said, if you cut corners to get there, you'll have to keep cutting corners to stay there. I want the whole thing. I want what God's called me to do. I want my personal vision to be fulfilled. I want this church's vision to be fulfilled. So we can't just cut corners. We can't just take God's plan, God's God's design, God's vision, and take it into our own hands. But we have to trust and obey and pray and ask and continuously ask and never get ahead of what God is doing. We write the vision. We make it plain. We we make it so that one can run who reads it. We make it so it's transferable. We noise it abroad. We do what God has called us to do. We walk in the anointing that God has called us to walk in. But we don't take matters into our own hands. And we trust Him in the process. Stand to your feet with me today.